You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Thank you very much for sticking with us here on Real Presence Live on a Wednesday. Father James Gross from the Diocese of Fargo joining you here from our Grand Forks studios. I had an interesting conversation just a couple of days ago with a retired permanent deacon in our diocese who spoke about how for him and his wife, uh, Catholic Radio really was a lifeline during the course of uh, the uh, pandemic, uh, during those months when uh, very many things were shut down and and masses were not uh, being celebrated publicly and the like, that uh, he and his family very much appreciated having that to um, mark the days, to to, to pass the days, and to guide them in their faith. So if uh, you have a similar story to share, we'd love to hear it, um, you know, and uh, to contact us at Real Presence Radio and, and share those stories with us. It's a great privilege for us to have been able to be a voice, uh, to uh, speak with you, to pray with you, uh, to accompany you, as we uh, have been doing for many years and, and, God willing, will be doing for many more. Well, this is a time here for me to uh, share some thoughts that have been on my mind about things that are happening, and especially how we can uh, build one another up uh, in the midst of the, the craziness that had happened um, in these, these last several months. When we turned the calendar to 2020, very few of us could have imagined that uh, we would have the kind of turmoil that we had had, and uh, certainly we are uh, sad and grieved about the number of lives lost uh, due to the coronavirus. Uh, we are heartened by the um, uh, the, the relatively low uh, mortality rate, and that uh, if we um, uh, continue to take the uh, simple steps that uh, that all of us can take, that we can continue to further mitigate this disease. But um, I just wanted to reflect about a couple of experiences that, that I've had along the way, and one of them has to do with sports. Yes, I am a, a sports fan and perhaps too devoted to that sort of thing. Um, for people who are genuinely introspective, the recent coronavirus pandemic has revealed our idols. I guess there's no other way to say it or to sugarcoat it. Think of the first commandment. I am the Lord your God, you shall not have strange gods before me. Uh, What strange gods have come before the one true God, or at least have elbowed their way alongside him in our lives? I still remember very clearly what it was like in those few days in early to mid-March as so many things were being suspended, postponed, canceled with regard to uh, pro sports, various other things like that. And I fully admit, one of those idols in contention in my life is sports. And I, I suppose it's easier to make this admission because there are so many of us in America who fall prey to it, if we're going to be honest with ourselves. And in my case, uh, this happens on multiple platforms. You know, on one hand, there is watching games themselves, but there are a lot of things that I choose not to watch, but I do want to follow, you know, who's leading in the standings and their respective divisions, other statistics, things like that. So I go also to analysis from excerpts of sports talk radio um, or TV or, or YouTube, things like that. And it also extends to college and high school athletics. 
um, the, uh, the the heart-wrenching decision that the North Dakota High School Activities Association made uh, with regard to state uh, basketball tournaments when a lot of people said, you know, it, couldn't there have been some way to uh, conclude those and to bring some sort of closure? Uh, Monday morning quarterbacking, uh, pardon the pun, is going to be a very easy thing to do. But long story short, this idol consumed far too much of my time. Um, I would like to be able to uh, to just claim that I was simply enjoying sports in moderation, um, but at what point was it more than that? Following them to the point where they led me around by the nose. Now, if, if I have a positive attitude about what's happened in these weeks, I will consider it a blessing to recalibrate my interests uh, and the way that the Holy Spirit has led me to a, a deeper commitment in my prayer. But um, yeah, definitely, I'm not much different from a lot of other people when you talk about what that was like. Um, you know, that week in March was not only inconvenient, it was downright tragic. Virtually every, support, every sport suspended its season indefinitely. And in a sense for me, it made the suspension of public masses or parish events even worse because I felt already knocked off balance. Um, now, major professional sports are slated to resume action by the end of July, including basketball, baseball, perhaps hockey. Um, I don't want to go too far out on a limb. I might be too optimistic about that. But if that does happen, I think it will be something of a balm to soothe the absence of that. And in terms of fans whose teams were you know, on a really good run, uh, to be able to at least finish out the season and see what's happening. Well, earlier this spring... Um, many of you will recall that ESPN decided to move up the airing of its highly anticipated documentary series, The Last Dance. It was uh, going to be happening in the summer, but they moved it up to the spring. And the topic is about Michael Jordan and his run of six championships with the Chicago Bulls. So it was a retrospective on his life, um, as well as uh, events happening in the course of the team during the time of that run, uh, winning uh, six championships within an eight year uh, stretch. This program got excellent rating, uh, enjoyed the nostalgia of the footage from the 90s, the, the fashion, the music, the uh, loud neckties the announcers were wearing, things like that. In addition to this series, there was a two-part documentary that aired about Lance Armstrong, uh, the, degraced, the disgraced cyclist uh, from Texas. Um, so thinking about these different uh, programs that we're airing here, I have a bone to pick with ESPN. Um, not necessarily about uh, the programs themselves, but about their editorial decisions. Now, the directors of these documentaries made it known, even if they didn't say it specifically, that the cameras are running and we are not going to censor you. Uh, now, they would argue that they wanted as true and unvarnished an account as they could get. You know, reasonable people can disagree about the methodology of all of that. What I didn't realize at the start was that someone, somewhere deep in the bowels of the ESPN headquarters in Connecticut, decided to air the documentary during prime time on the main ESPN network with a TV rating of MA, uh, mature. What that was, that mean? No bleeps uh, of any profanity at all. Uh, what's more, the closed captions represented the audio exactly, with every obscene word flashing on the screen. Um, there are times when I'll watch things in closed captioning so that I can keep the volume down uh, a bit and follow uh, more specifically what's being said. Well, 
this is a very big problem with me. And the fact that very few people have made a stink about this has kind of outraged me all the more. Um, personally, only one commentator on one media outlet that I have heard so far really you know, made a negative comment about this got me thinking. Have Americans become this complacent and accommodating of profanity? Now, people will reply that the sanitized version of these shows aired simultaneously on ESPN2. Yes, that's true. That's where I eventually watched these episodes. That didn't go far enough, though. It doesn't answer the question of why the nasty, uncensored edition aired not on HBO, or a place where you might expect something like that to happen, but on ESPN, for crying out loud. How did that decision get made, and why is it that so many people are nonchalant about it? Now, I imagined if I were not a priest, but a father of a family, you know, with little kids wandering through the living room at 8 p.m. on a Sunday night, being assaulted by this garbage, um, you know, how often had that happened this spring? Because parents were not vigilant enough uh, to protect them. Now, don't don't get the wrong idea here. I have no illusions about how professional athletes and coaches speak in locker rooms. You know, I, I certainly don't approve of of the vulgarity, but um, you know, it's not like I'm unaware of this. But to record and broadcast anything and everything they said was as vulgar and sinful a choice as those who did the speaking. This this just was an outrage to me. What loophole was ESPN using to justify this decision? Why did no government entity like the FCC push back against it? Maybe the rules are different than I thought they would be. Uh, why did no one seem to care to even ask these questions? And I think the, the cold hard truth is that if you were to, in a candid moment, visit with some of the executives at ESPN, they would say, well, we know that you are, that we know that we are your idol. We know that we have you right where we want you. We have you in your back pocket. And so you're not going to throw up your arms in disgust and uh, uh, walk away from uh, the, the programming of this network uh, because of this decision. You're going to still want to watch the games. You're still going to want to watch the commentary, the content, and, and other things like that. And so there's just basically that, that crudeness that I think people are, are kind of clinging to uh, the powers that be there. So, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, am I going to am I going to uh, cut the cord completely? Um, you know, will I not watch any more games on ESPN? Um, well, I know that I'll be watching far less of anything else besides games on ESPN from now on. Uh, this network has had internal struggles in recent years about the nature of their content. One side pushed for additional uh, social justice advocacy, while others insisted that the cable TV giants stick with the successful formula of uh, staying with reporting on the action on the field or on the court. And um, within the last month especially, this um, tension, I think, has been ratcheted up. Uh, the atrocious murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis um, you know, captivated so much attention around the country. But it, it seems as though there is a, um, a narrative that's being promoted by a lot of these national sports networks, um, and not just ESPN. And in part, it exists because there aren't games to be talking about, um, or just, you know, we're looking ahead at planning to uh, resume some of these sports leagues and things like that. But, you know, 
is every white person really guilty of hatred in their hearts? Some certainly are, but uh, when it comes to um, my minority issues, um, you know, in the United States, how do we go about substantial, meaningful work in this area without becoming so, um, so, so preachy, things like that? You know, to me and to so many other people in America, every life matters, or it should matter more than it does. That means every preborn life, handicapped life, physically sound life, uh, every life of every color matters. It's not only because that's the polite thing to say. It's because of my faith in Christ. It's because of my faith in Jesus that I would not put any word in front of the phrase, lives matter. You know, that this is a problematic thing. It's, it's an opportunity to uh, oppress and take advantage of, wrongly, other Americans. And ultimately, what we need to do is to be a proponent, to be a voice. The church needs to be a leaven in the world so that um, every life matters uh, when viewed through our eyes, when there are so many others who, for whatever reason, clearly do not think so. So I just wanted to get that off my chest about uh, my experience with that and kind of a throwing my arms in the air and saying what is going on these days and, and to express that. Now, when it comes to how we are handling this time in our lives personally as a parish, how we are looking out for one another, how we are helping one another to resume um, a, an active and robust faith life within our parish setting after, the, um, after this uh, shutdown had concluded. Yeah, are you concerned about the overall spiritual health of your parish or your diocese in the wake of the pandemic? Should we be anxious about the apparent passivity of many of the faithful? Or does that reaction reflect a lack of faith in the working of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ? Um, look at the different examples throughout the country. Uh, here in the dioceses in North Dakota, it ended up being about a six-week span of time when no public masses or uh, events were able to be scheduled. And whatever we were doing with regard to masses and devotions, we had the option of posting somehow, uh, broadcasting either on Facebook or YouTube or some sort of platform. Many, many churches did this, and many parishioners are grateful that they did. I know that there are numerous people who said, I know I could go to lots of different places, but to see you at my church home, you know, meant more to me than um, watching somewhere else. And I, I, I do appreciate that, but we have some hard questions to answer here in terms of what, they're, what we're going to do now, um, how we move forward from this time, because there are certain parts of the country that are just beginning to open things up. People have been waiting for, um, you know, months now, and, uh, they are offended by what they see as double standards, that in certain other parts of life, there's been a, um, a reduced concern about what's happening um, with re regard to the coronavirus. But churches have been, uh, you know, have, have been forced to be, be closed for a long time. There was a blog post that I saw by a retired priest of the Diocese of Rockford, Illinois. Uh, his name is Monsignor Eric Barr, and the title is pretty provocative. It says, Catholics, they are not coming back unless... And I just want to pull a couple of quotes from what he had to say. Monsignor Barr writes... 
For the hundreds, perhaps even thousands, who wish to return to church, there are millions of Catholics who have grown uh, quite comfortable in a Eucharist-free faith, and they are going to stay that way. So what, we're, what are we going to do about this? Um, and, and he continues to talk about the inconsistency of things where, um, for the ordinary Catholic who never studied moral theology, a conundrum is caused. As soon as the churches are fully open, the bishops will restore the legal requirement, well, in some cases they will, that Catholics must go to Mass on Sunday. What normal Catholic is going to be impressed by that, particularly since they have not been sinning for the past many months by not going to Mass? Um, Monsignor Barr goes on to say, uh, I assure you that the majority of Mass-going Catholics are not going to come back unless we do something. So this is his way of saying, I'm not just you know, complaining or you know, talking about those sorts of things, but I want to... Um, actually work toward a solution. Monsignor Barr continues by saying, and it's up to the bishops to do this. I know I get on their case. Like I said, they are good men, but to my knowledge, very few, if any, have developed the catechesis necessary to bring the faithful back to Mass. They just presume the crowds will return. Not a chance. We live in a society that says the activity that screams the loudest will be the one people respond to. The people have found that many things vie for their time. We've been remarkably silent, uh, rolling over uh, to the secular authority, allowing it to tell us what to do. So a couple of tips that he gives are with regard to music, preaching, and evangelization by the laity for the laity. You may have seen a, a column that Bishop Robert Barron put out uh, responding to what was happening in San Francisco with a statue of St. Junipero Cerro being vandalized and torn down. Uh, the bishops made a statement regarding those attacks in several places in California. Um, and uh, uh, perhaps uh, many, many times, Bishop Barron says in this uh, article, well, Bishop, making a statement is all fine and good, people say in his comments, but what are you and the other bishops going to do about it? Well, Bishop talks about certain things that they can and have done, calling community leaders together, lobbying politicians, encouraging legislative changes, but what struck Bishop again and again is that particularly lay men and women are putting way too much onus on the clergy and not nearly enough on themselves. If I may be blunt, Bishop Barron said, the question ought not to be, what are the bishops doing about it? But rather, what can I and my Christian friends do about it? Good food for thought there from Bishop Barron in terms of how we can mobilize to defend what is most important to us individually and collectively in our lives. So I just wanted to share some of those thoughts with you and uh, uh, as, as food for thought as we bravely go forward in these times. So we're going to step aside for a quick break, and as we come back, we'll talk to a couple of people about an important golfing event that's going to be happening in the Diocese of Fargo later this summer. You're listening to Real Presence Live. 